This morning's sermon passage is 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 13. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, our desire today is that you would cause us all to see Jesus and believe. To see Jesus and have hope. To see Jesus and have faith. And so that means, Father, that for some of us in this room, we would need you to open our eyes, to lift a veil from our face, and to cause us to see Jesus as the one true saving Son of God and believe. And so, Lord, we believe that you are able to bring such faith and such belief, and we are pleading with you to do so today. Lord, that also means that many of us walk through this life as your children, and yet we allow ourselves to be defined by so many other realities. Would you cause us to be defined by Christ and who he is and what he has done for us? Lord, this is our prayer today. This is our pleading. We ask for you to work. In Jesus' name, amen. If you haven't already, please take a Bible. Turn over to the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 2. 2 Timothy, chapter 2. Uh, here at Redeemer, we're working our way through uh, the book of 2 Timothy, and, and this is where uh, we are next. That's kind of our method. We, we work through books, and so um, this is where we are. Our sermon today is entitled, Remember, with an exclamation point. So I don't want to be that sweaty fundamentalist guy too soon in the sermon where I'm like, Remember! But that's kind of the, the way it should be inflected. And... Um, but remember, remember what? Remember Jesus. Remember who he is. Remember what he's done for you. Remember that what he says is true of you is what is ultimately true of you. Remember. So one of the things that the growth of counseling in our current society has brought to bear in a helpful way is that what we think in our heads often radically shapes what we think of ourselves, what we say, what we do, and how we live. And so I think this passage today is addressed to you and me to say, in your head, preach Jesus to yourself. In your head, in your doubt, in your fear, in your despair, in your sin, in your unbelief, preach Jesus to yourself. And then this passage says to the church, preach Jesus to one another. Help us define who we are in light of Jesus. That's what this passage is driving home to us. And I think that's Paul's point because the first three words are, remember Jesus 
Christ. He wants us to remember Jesus. So before we kind of dive in, the point that I want us to see in this passage today is that Jesus and His power are everything. And the act of remembering is to call ourselves to see who we are as defined by Jesus because that changes everything. Now the reason why I think that's the point of this passage, there, there are a few things. Number one, the, the clear imperative, remember Jesus. Number two, look at verse 11. The saying is trustworthy for. And so the phrase, the saying is trustworthy, shows up five times in the letters of 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. Five times in the last letters that Paul wrote. And I think at this point, Paul's usage of the phrase, the saying is trustworthy, is his version of, listen up, hear this, believe this, focus on this. That's what is going on. And so, Paul does this five times. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9, this one, and Titus chapter 3, verse 8. And every time he does it, he's honing in on that which is of utmost importance and that which should get our attention. And so in this instance, it is verses 11, 12, and 13, which if you look in your Bible are probably set off and they're not written exactly the same as is the rest of of the verses, most scholars believe that they're set off because either these verses were a hymn that the early church sang to one another, or because it was a, a, a statement of catechesis that early Christians were memorizing as a way to teach themselves about who Jesus is. And so, so this statement, this is trustworthy, I, I just about ripped my microphone out. Hold on one second. We still good back there? Okay. Um, the statement, this is trustworthy, and remember, work together, because they're really saying the same things. Verse 8, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, is preached in my gospel. And then verse 11, 12, and 13, if you've died with him, you will also reign with him. Excuse me, you also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. That is the punch that this passage is intended to drive to us, and it is, remember Jesus. Remember who he is, remember what he's done, remember what he says about you, remember what he promises to you, and believe it in such a way that it overrides how you think, what you say, what you do, and how you live. So I'm here to say to you today that every one of you here needs to be radically reoriented to remember who Jesus is. Not just remember in a cognitive, factual kind of sense, but to remember in a life-changing, believing, I cling to this because it's what is true time of sins. When your thoughts are filled with doubt, remember Jesus. When your thoughts are filled with fear, remember Jesus. When your thoughts are filled with a longing for sin, remember Jesus. When your thoughts are filled with hatred, remember Jesus. When your thoughts are filled with hurt and angst and anxiety and fear, remember Jesus. I think that's what Paul is screaming from this passage. And so I have five things that I want you to remember about Jesus. Let me rephrase that. Paul has five things that he wants you to remember about Jesus, and I want you to remember them also. Um, so, the main point, remember Jesus. Let's look together at what Paul says in this passage. First, 
remember Jesus is the giver of life. First, remember Jesus is the giver of life. So verse 8 says, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Those four words, we might be quick to just jump right over them and go, oh yeah, 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 the Easter thing, they killed him, he died on the cross, he rose the third day, Jesus risen from the dead. Remember that. Well, not exactly. What he's saying is, remember that Jesus really was a man. That God took on human flesh and really was born of a virgin. Really did grow up in a family of a man named Joseph and a woman named Mary. Really did navigate his days without sinning against God in any way. And as a parent, I'm just dumbfounded by that. Parents, right? Like eight-year-olds that don't sin and stir up anger against their brothers. Like, like you yearn for that as much as I do, or is that just my broken family? Okay, okay. This Jesus rose up to take a role as a teacher and a leader and a Messiah who said that He was the Son of God, who came to bring God's salvation, who came to bring God's deliverance to God's people. And this Jesus, humanly speaking, was wrongly murdered and divinely speaking, gave His life as a sacrifice for sins so that all who would call upon Him could be redeemed and forgiven and reconciled to God. And this Jesus rose on the third day. This Jesus cannot be contained by the grave. And so when Paul says, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, what he's saying is, remember Jesus who has defeated death. Remember Jesus who brings life. And there's something else he's saying. Because in the Bible, death is tied to sin. We're told that death only entered the world because sin entered the world. And if Jesus can defeat the consequences of sin, that is death, then Jesus defeats sin. And so when Paul says, remember Jesus risen from the dead, what he is saying is remember Jesus who has overcome sin, who has overcome death, who redeems people, who saves people, who restores people, who reconciles people, who makes all things new. Remember that your only hope is in Christ. And if Jesus is the giver of life, life now and life eternal, then there is absolutely nothing that this world can hurl at us of which Jesus is not greater. Sin, he forgives it. Death, he brings life. Suffering, he brings endurance. Hardship, he brings comfort. If Jesus has defeated death, then Jesus has defeated sin. And if Jesus has defeated sin and death and can bring life to death and can bring forgiveness to sin and bring reconciliation to sinners, there is nothing this world can hurl at us that Jesus has not defeated and is not eager to let us as his children share in. And so I believe that you're going to see some synonymous parallels between verse 8 and the hymn. Because look at the first line of the hymn. If we have died with Him, we also 
live with Him. So Paul's saying, you've memorized, you sing, if we die with Him, we also live with Him. And what Paul's saying is, we sing to teach ourselves to remember that Jesus is the giver of life. And what he means there is not so much if we die physically with Him, but if we have spiritually become connected to Jesus by dying to sin, dying to self, and dying to rebellion against God, then spiritually we know forgiveness, reconciliation, and justification, and the life of Jesus dwells in us now. I think the remember Jesus risen from the dead, and then if we have died with him, we, live, we will also live with him, is intended by Paul to be very similar to Romans chapter 6, verses 5 through 11. Romans chapter 6, verses 5 through 11. You can write that down, but I want to read it. He said, just listen to what he says. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we could no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. What Paul is saying is if, if we have quit walking in rebellion and we have quit trying to earn our status before God through our good works and if we have died to all of that and leaned into Jesus for salvation, Paul's saying we have died with him and we live with him and even now he is the giver of life physically, life spiritually, and life everlasting. And so the question for us is that if Jesus is the giver of life, what do I have to fear here and now? If Jesus is the giver of life, I no longer have to perform before God. I rest in Jesus because I'm died. I'm dead to spiritual performance. If Jesus is alive, I no longer have to earn God's favor because he has given me his favor. And if Jesus is alive and he shares his life with all who believe in him, what can this world take from us that Jesus cannot restore in eternity? The answer is nothing. The answer is nothing. I kind of wish I could just camp there all day, but we got four more of those. So, number two. Remember that Jesus is the king over everything. Remember that Jesus is the king over everything. So four more words we probably really quickly skipped in verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David. And we were probably quick to go, oh yeah, 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 like David, king, Jesus, son of David. Okay, but, but what is being said in the offspring of of David is that Jesus is God's king over all forever 
bringing God's blessing to God's people. Jesus is the king over everything. Now, if you're new to the scripture, let me see if I can overview it in just a couple minutes, okay? At the very beginning of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, it tells us that God created everything. The heavens and the earth, all the animals, all the creatures, he created us. And that in the, in the very beginning, there was a man named Adam and a woman named Eve. And then in Genesis chapter 2 and chapter 3, Adam and Eve choose rebellion and sin and death over obedience and blessing and knowing God unhindered forever. And so sin entered into the world through Adam and Eve. That's in the first three chapters of the Bible. So a good story has an actor, has a plot, has a problem to be solved, and has a solution. In the first three chapters of the Bible, that's all there because we're told what the solution's going to be. The solution's going to be a son of Adam who will come and defeat sin and defeat death forever. So we're told in Genesis 1, 2, and 3 that the solution is a son of Adam who would come to defeat sin and defeat death. Now, from the first three chapters of the Bible to where we are today, so all of that is a story of two things. It's a story of how sin and death spread and infect all of creation. And it's a story of how that son of Adam is going to come to defeat sin and defeat death. And over time, that promise gets more and more narrow and more and more clear. So the promise that a son of Adam would come to defeat death becomes a promise to Abraham that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through him. And then it becomes a problem, excuse me, not a problem, but a promise from Abraham to Isaac. And then a promise to Jacob, who gets renamed Israel. And then a promise to a, a son of Jacob later named Moses. And then a promise to a son of Jacob later named David. And David was set up by God to be king over God's people. So this promise is getting narrower and narrower and more and more specific. There will be one who will come who will bring God's blessing to God's people forever. And a promise is given to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12. And what we're told in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12, is that there will be a child of David who will come, who will be the forever king to rule forever over God's people, and God's people will share in the eternal blessing of God under the reign of this king. And Jesus showed up and he said, I'm the son of David of whom you have been waiting. And so this Easter, I mean Easter, this Christmas Advent season, what we're celebrating is that the king has come. The king took on flesh. The king is born. The king came. He lived. He died. He rose again. Why? To establish himself as the king of all forever for God's people. And what we're being told, when we're told to remember that Jesus is the offspring of David, we're being told to remember that he is the king over everything. He's the king over everything. And so the second line of our hymn then, down in verse 12, all of a sudden makes sense. This was such a head-scratcher for me this week. If we died with him, we live with him. That's a very biblical theme, death, life, sin, forgiveness. But endurance and reigning? Reigning? What's going on there? Well, here's the connection. Jesus is the king over all. 
He will always be the king over all. And what's being said is if we endure in this life as his children for his glory, we will forever get to experience his reign and we will reign with him. And so the promise is that Jesus, the king over all, brings the blessings of his kingship to his people for all time. And so Jesus reigns everywhere and always. There is not a place in earth, on earth, under the earth, above the earth, where Jesus isn't king and he is not reigning. And there is not a place in the earth or on the earth or under the earth or above the earth where Jesus isn't working for his children to bring them under the wings of his blessing. So wherever you are and whatever you are facing, Jesus the King is absolutely, totally, 100% sovereignly in control and He hasn't left you, He hasn't neglected you, and He will not fail to keep any of His promises to His children. Jesus is the King over all. And so the question for us is, are we willing to believe That Jesus absolutely reigns over everything and therefore submit everything to him. Again, we could camp there for months. First, remember Jesus, the giver of life. Second, remember Jesus is king over everything. Third, remember Jesus is faithful to his children. Remember Jesus is faithful. To his children. So we've looked at the first two lines of the hymn in 11 and 12. Now let's look at the second two lines. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Now I think the truths of these two lines of the hymn really are fleshed out for us by Jesus himself. In Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33. So if you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to write down Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33. And I think what's being said here in the hymn, hymn is very consistent with what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33. So let me read that for you. Jesus says, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. So very clearly what Jesus is saying is if you acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge you before my Father and all the blessings of eternal life, forgiveness of sin, and everlasting reign come to you because you stand in me before the Father. Jesus is also then saying that if you deny me before men, He will also deny us before the Father who is in heaven. And so what Jesus is ultimately saying is what most matters is how we respond to him. That it is possible for a human to deny him. It is possible for a human to acknowledge him. And because those are real scenarios for us, What matters most about us is how we respond to Jesus. So it says, if we deny him, 
he also will deny us, which is just simply echoing the words of Jesus, that if we reject him, his salvation, his forgiveness, his mercy, his death, his intercession, and his everlasting life, then we will be denied by him and there will be no eternal blessing for us. But he says that if we acknowledge him before men, he will acknowledge us before the Father who is in heaven. And so what I believe Jesus means by acknowledge is that we recognize that he alone is Savior and he alone is Lord. We recognize our need for his salvation. We cry out to him and ask him to forgive us and save us and redeem us. And we plead with him to cover our sin, to make us right with the Father, to give us everlasting life, and to walk with us forever. And so there's the sharp edge of if you deny me, he also, excuse me, if you deny him, he will also deny you. And then there's the joyful promise, though, of if we are faithless, he remains faithful. So get this, get this. The gospel is not good people versus bad people. The gospel is not those who do everything right get blessing and those who do everything wrong get condemnation. The gospel is everybody's wrong. Everybody's sinful. Everybody rejects God. But those who see Christ and respond to Him in faith... He stands with and for forever in spite of our weakness, in spite of our doubts, in spite of our struggles, but because he cannot be, he cannot deny himself. He cannot fail to be faithful to his children. So the good news of the gospel is, yes, those who deny God receive no blessing from Those who deny God will be judged and will be condemned. But the good news of the gospel is those who freely by faith receive the blessing and salvation of Jesus, he will forever stand for and forever intercede for and forever fill up what's lacking in our faith and what's lacking in our obedience and what's lacking in our love. So the huge question here is how do we respond to Jesus? How do we respond to Jesus? And in a room this size, there are some of us who for the first time need to come to see that we stand before Jesus as deniers. And yet he says, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me and I will bless you and I will keep you and I will acknowledge you before my father. There's an invitation today. No longer do you have to deny him. You can come to him. You can come to him. If you're wrestling with that question, would you please talk to me? Look around this room. There are a hundred people in here that would love to talk to you about who you are, your faith, and what you believe. And if you're sitting there going, I can't believe he just volunteered me, step up. Talk about Jesus. See the next point. Okay. But then Christians... Christians, isn't there such good news here that even when we're faithless, God remains faithful to us? Isn't there such freeing news that the grace of God doesn't flow through our performance, but it flows through the cross of Jesus? 
Isn't there such good news that we don't have to perform and earn and achieve, but that Jesus gives and saves and delivers? So where are we prone to continue to act like we have to be faithful for God to be faithful to us? Probably never thought you'd hear a preacher say this, but perhaps some of us today need to repent of our faithfulness, our attempts to get God to love us a little more, and our attempts to get God to pour out a little more blessing upon us. Because all we need for God's love and God's mercy and God's grace and God's salvation is Jesus. And we're promised that he is faithful to us because he's faithful to himself. Fourth. So we're remembering Jesus is the giver of life. We're remembering Jesus is the king overall. We're remembering Jesus is faithful. Fourth, we're remembering the power. We're remembering the power. The power of God's ministry in the world is not people, but it is God's word. The power of God's ministry in the world is not what we do for God, but it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. So look at verse 9. Paul says, I preach the gospel. I'm suffering. I'm bound in chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. If you're prone to write in your Bible, I would encourage you to highlight in every way possible, but the word of God is not bound. And what Paul is saying is don't tie the power of God, the success of the gospel, or the success of the church to me and my ministry, but tie it to the word of God. Because they can bind me and they can kill me, but the word of God will not be bound. And they can bind Timothy and they can kill Timothy, but the word of God will not be bound. And they can bind Jamie And they can kill Jamie, but the word of God will not be bound. And they can bind you, and they can kill you, but the word of God will not be bound. They can go to every length they have to eradicate the world of Christians, but the word of God will not be bound. And so what Paul is saying is, my faith is not in circumstance, but it's in God who has spoken in His Son, and His word will not be bound. The Word is the power. The Word is where the power comes from. And I am questioning whether we believe that the power is in the Word or if we believe that the power is in us or the right preacher or the right theological camp or the right Sunday school class or the right small group or the right curriculum that we bought at the bookstore the other day. But the power is in the Word of God. And where the Word of God is... God is active, His Spirit is moving, and people will be saved, and they will be changed. When we studied the book of Acts several years ago here at Redeemer, way back when Tucker was like in middle school, what we studied and what we learned was that where God's people, God's Spirit, and God's Word are, things happen. The power is in God who speaks through His Word. I'm reminded of a man I met about a decade ago, I don't really think his name was Bill, but he told me his name was Bill. Because um, Bill 
was a uh, missionary in the Middle East. And missionaries in the Middle East tend to hide their identities and not tell blabby mouth Americans who will go post on Facebook, what a glorious day, I met Jamie Mosley, missionary in Uganda. Yeah, you just, Uganda's not in the Middle East. Lebanon, whatever, right? Like, just don't do that. You lie and you say, my name's Bill. Bill was in the country of Jordan. Bill, remember, Bill was in the country of Jordan. And Bill was there to teach English. And this was Bill's missionary method. He would sit down with Muslim students who wanted to learn English. And he would say to them, because he needed to learn Arabic, if you'll study the Bible, the Gospels, the stories of Jesus with me in English, I'll study the Quran with you in Arabic. Now Bill said this in a room full of good southern fundamentalist type Christians and they all were like, you would read the Quran? It's an unholy book. You might get perverted. Bill let everybody get their gaffes out and he said this, I have no fear because the power is in the word of God. And if the Bible is the word of God, I have nothing to fear. And if they kick me out, the word of God will not be kicked out because these kids have been exposed to the gospel. And if they kill me, the word of God will carry on. And so get this, Paul's saying, I'm bound with chains, I'm about to die for the cause of the gospel, and I have great hope because the word of God is not bound. Cut off my head, Jesus reigns. Now, if that's how Paul feels, I'm just wondering if we could believe in the power of the Word of God enough to wake up 15 minutes early and open it and read it. I I got a really low bar today. Really low. Just we have enough confidence in the Word of God to let it saturate our lives in some way because the power is in the Word, not in people. And the church in the South of America is built around people and leaders as if The power is in people, and we all must repent because the power is in the Word of God. Fifth. So, first, we're remembering Jesus, the giver of life. Second, we're remembering Jesus is king over all. Third, we're remembering the power is in the Word. Wait, no, I skipped one. Third, we're remembering Jesus is faithful. Fourth, we're remembering the power is in the Word. And fifth, we're remembering the goal is the faith of those who don't know Christ. The goal of our lives, the goal of our ministry, one of them is the faith of those who don't know Christ. Now, we're going to tiptoe through some deep theological weeds to come out on a really quick conclusion, okay? Look at verse 10. Paul says, Therefore I endure endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also might obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal life glory. Here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, I endure all of this hardship. I go to great effort and suffering and struggle and toil to bring the gospel to people because I believe that there are people for whom Jesus died, people who will eternally and eventually be with God forever, whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life, who don't currently know Christ, and I labor immensely for their salvation. Now, we can get all tied up about election. We can get all tied up about whether or not election means this or that. But the bottom line is, elect 
speaks of those who will forever be around the throne of God. And the fact that God elects tells us that there will be people around God's throne forever and that our labors for the gospel will not be in vain because God will redeem His people. And this passage tells us that no matter what we believe about election, Paul exerted great energy to help those who were separated from Christ currently to obtain salvation in Christ eternally. That is how Paul spent his life. And Paul believed in election and commission so much that he was willing to endure everything, even death, to that end. So I have a low bar on this one as well. Do you think that because you believe Christ came and lived and died to redeem a people, and that he brings his gospel to the world through people, do you think that perhaps it would be beneficial for us to endure the difficulty of a hard conversation over lunch for the good of someone's eternal soul? Do you think it would be worthwhile for us to risk getting a door shut in our face or maybe making someone not want to be as close to us for the good of seeing people meet Jesus? Because Paul said that was one of the reasons why he endured everything, that the elect may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus. So my question for you today is, who do you long to obtain salvation in Christ Jesus? Put a name on that, by the way. It'll help you. It'll help you pray differently. It'll help you live differently. It'll help you lay out your schedule this next week differently. Who in your life is God leading you to long to know the salvation that comes through Christ? And you're willing to lean in and be a pivotal part of that. I end this way. Worship team, you guys can go ahead and come. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. This day, I want us all to be filled with remembrance. Remembrance that Jesus is everything. And his word is true. And what he says is true. And let's resolve to let who Jesus is shape who we are for the glory of his name. Father in heaven, we pray now that you would work mightily and powerfully in this gathering and take what has been said this day that is true and right and good and helpful and pour it deeply into our hearts. Amen. At this time, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. Jesus gave us this meal, the bread and the cup, to do the very thing that this passage calls us to do, to remember Him. And so here at Redeemer, we invite everyone who is a Christian, that's everyone who's professed faith in Christ for salvation, and who has made that profession known um, publicly, we would invite you to take the bread and the cup with us as a remembrance of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. If you're here today and you're not sure uh, where you stand before Christ, we would ask that you let the bread and the cup pass. But we would also say today can be the day that you acknowledge him and profess him and find him and be saved by him. I would encourage you to talk to someone about that today or talk directly to God about that. So we're going to sing. Some guys are going to pass out the bread and the cup. I'll come back in just a minute. We'll take them together.